Welcome to the latest episode of Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Thanks for joining us on your favorite podcast app. We're on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We're also on Dash Radio on their Nothing But Net channel. That's every single weeknight at 7 p.m. Also, check out the Five Reasons YouTube channel an hour before every game, before floor, right as the game ends. Post up 5R, hosted by Royal Shepherd, who I just figured out is four foot six. That's a shout out to you, Royal. Um, also, check it out for the latest Dolphins content. The Dolphins have won four in a row. I was there today. Tua has completed 90% of his passes over the past two weeks. So you might want to check out the pre and post game shows there. Also five reasonsports.com, five reasonsports.com for the latest from Brady and Gad and others. And you'll be hearing from them today. And of course that is free. We don't have a paywall and the great sponsors of the five reasons sports network. We have the way for you to play fantasy and we have the way for you to bet. And for both ways, it is the code five F I V E for daily fantasy. You go to prize picks, go to prizepicks.com, play the up downs, go with the power play, go with the flex play, depending how far you want to go in, just deposit 20 bucks. They're going to match your deposit. You got really very little to risk there. And that's the bonus, but then you can also bet more if you want, um, but you can play two, three, four, five players together. You can play NFL NBA, NHL, we're going to start doing regular prize pick shows. You can catch those on Before Floor where we guide you. If you want to bet, go to betus.com. That's betus.com. They give you 125% bonus when you use the code 5, F-I-V-E. They got the live betting platform. Unfortunately, I decided to go in and play Alabama minus two and a half. What the hell are those rules in college football? Go to betus.com. That's betus.com. Use the code 5. That's the way you want to gamble. You know that there was this other app that was out there, but I don't think people are going to be using that one very long. Go to betus.com, use the code five, prizepicks.com, the same code five. And now, tonight's episode. Down Five on the floor, ride for my dogs. Where here's the thing, you can check the score. Hustle hard, couple scars, wearing bubble frogs. Just like Buckley said, you in trouble, y'all. Kept the floor plan, got an all band. Y'all seen the block, stop the one hand. And Pat, we trust, it's power, have the guts. We're here to bring the heat, y'all can hang it up. Welcome to Five on the Floor, a daily insider show on the Miami Heat and the NBA featuring Ethan Skolnick, Greg Sylvander, and Alex Toledo, plus others from the Five Reasons Sports Network. All right, welcome back to Five on the Floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Here is tonight's floor plan. We literally have five on the floor tonight. I think this is the first time we've actually done that. Follow me at Ethan J. Skolnick and at Five Reasons Sports. You can follow Greg Sylvander. At Greg Sylvander, you can follow Alex Toledo at Tropical Blanket. Although if you're watching here on YouTube, for some reason, his name is also Ethan Skolnick. You can follow Gadiel Cartagena at Gad Cartagena. And make I sure get in the use, game. Yeah, exactly. Make sure you use C-A-R-T-A if you want to spell that correctly. And of course, you can follow Brady Hawk at Brady Hawk 305. And I feel like Brady has paparazzi following him now. So you may want to just trail them. Here's what we're going to do. Okay. The Heat have played 20 games. They're 13 and seven. And I think most people before the season would have taken that. If you looked at the schedule, you looked at all the road games, 13 road games, ton of playoff teams on there, not a lot of gimmies. I think you would have definitely taken third and seven and second in the East. Of course, 
when you start to break it down from a micro perspective instead of a macro perspective, you can say, well, maybe they should have beaten Minnesota. Maybe they could have beaten Indiana. Maybe they should have won at least one of those two games in L.A., right? So there are games that they certainly could have won <laughs> that they didn't win, but they have wins against Chicago, against Brooklyn, uh, two against Utah, one against Milwaukee. I know not everybody played for Brooklyn and Milwaukee in those games, but the wins still count. And the Heat obviously have missed some players. Bam missed some time. Jimmy missed some time. Lowry missed a game. Heroes now missed a, game, a couple of games. Um, so their four best players have missed time. Markeith Morris has been out 10 games off of their bench. So they haven't been totally healthy either. But we're going to break this down two different ways tonight. Check out Gad's story on fivereasonsports.com. He broke it down by the numbers. Brady broke it down by the strategy. We're going to start here with Gad. And I just want you to kind of, I want you to lay it out for us. Okay. What were some of the key things that you found? And I know you did it after 19 games, but it still applies after the Chicago game. What were some of the key, key sort of trends that you found through the first quarter poll of the season? So for the first, I guess we will go with five takeaways here. Um, the, the most important one to me, at least was what we've seen from Tyler hero. I think what you've seen from him just overall, increases the ceiling of this team we didn't know what he was going to be going into the season and looking at the numbers he's playing like an elite pull-up shooter he's playing like an absolutely elite pull-up shooter uh, if you look at pull-up shooting like how many points per game they're getting the effective field goal percentage uh he's technically fourth behind i believe kevin durant demar Derozan, and trey young and then he's ahead of guys like cj mccollum devin booker zach levine donovan mitchell damian lillard and we can keep going um that's a really elite group to be in the conversation with. And I know he put him, he put a target on the, his back going into the season, but that probably would be my biggest takeaway. Um, there's also some stuff about Bam being a shooter, uh, the rebounding percentage actually being an elite strength of this team, as well as uh, Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry and how they've regressed and how it's been a little bit confusing because it's been the catch and shoot that's gone away. But there's, I think there's a lot more positive from the first quarter of the season than there is negative. Although you might not see that if you read the timeline. Yeah. I'm glad that you led with Tyler because um, you know, when I, when I think about this season, I, there's micro and there's macro, right. And like, yes, we can dissect the micro stuff, but I also think about like just long-term, like the best thing that could have happened for this organization has happened through the first 20 games. And that's Tyler hero has ascended to a different level. And you brought that up. Um, and I think it's a great place to start. Um, and and, and I, I guess to that degree, because he's become such a flat out scorer, let's talk about Bam, like the growing pains of turn. Uh, like you, you, you talked about him, um, Riley's comments about him becoming a flat out scorer and how that hasn't gone as planned. Um, I'm interested to dissect that more because Tyler's ascension, I feel like, uh, we've been raving about that long enough, but I think the BAM stuff is more interesting go forward in terms of like what it means for the rest of the season. Yeah. With BAM, it's, it's a little interesting because obviously we haven't seen what we wanted to. He's taken a, a few more shots. He's taken um, some shots that maybe you don't love, like the, the turnaround fadeaways. He's taken a bit too many of those this year. And it's obviously a very low percentage shot. No player in the NBA outside of hall of famers are really going to do great with that. But um, with BAM, I really just think you've seen, a player that is attempting to take that step as a scorer, trying to get to the rim a little bit more. Uh, some of that is by virtue of playing with Kyle Lowry, but you've seen someone who is predominantly a jump shooter and he's just struggling as a jump shooter right now. So until those shots fall, you're not really going to see that scoring jump from Bam, but there is the groundwork laid for him to maybe get to that 21, 22 points per game. 
Um, but it is going to take a a correction in efficiency because he is shooting his shootings down across the board from last year. So I want to shout out Gad here because this is a great article. This was like this was a, a top notch article, but not only that was like an actual statistical case, right? Like this could be put <laughs> like a journal, like an actual like educational journal or whatever the proper term is. That you brought out the PowerPoint slides, the graphs, Power BI, it was pie so charts. Good though. Like it, it was. We it didn't was even so think we could use pie charts on FiveReasonSports.com. I had to send it to Brady to get it on the site. <laughs> Technology. <laughs> But seriously, like, so between the BAM thing, right, uh, noticing the difference in efficiency from last season to this season in jump shots was the biggest thing that stood out to me there. It's something that logically makes sense when you just look at it like, okay, he's taking more of those. We wanted him to take more of those. Sometimes he's taking them too much. Like, he's he's taking them sometimes, uh, especially in home games, where, like, a guy's right on him. It's not always when he's wide mm-hmm. open. I think that's, like God said in the story, part of the growing pains and – We've always uh, kind of lamented him not going to the rim as much, but and I don't have the free throw numbers pulled up right now, but he's been really good at it this season. So it's hard to say, you know, get to the rim more often. I think it's looked a little bit worse recently. I don't know if it's the knee tendonitis or whatever, uh, but overall, especially earlier on in the season, I think he's kind of shown that he's more confident. I think that's something that's everybody has been able to see, but I thought a uh, guy did a really good job uh, you, sh- you guys should actually like check out the story because I'm not going to go over all the numbers here. Uh, shout out to Gad for the Tobias Harris shot here that I'm not going to give away. And then he went over the pull-up shooting. Hero's pull-up shooting was completely underrated by all of us coming in. I thought Lowry's pull-up shooting was going to be a bigger weapon and Hero's pull-up shooting has been by far the bigger weapon. And they needed those types of uh, drop killers and uh, like guys who could actually hit those shots, right? And then the last thing that's most important to me here is the rim pressure stuff towards the end of the article. This might be the most important one. They were in the bottom of the league in like drives per game. I just think I didn't realize it was that low, right? You would think that their shot profile compared to last season, just by the eye test is a lot more stuff in the paint. But I I feel like the Heat are a team that looks to touch the paint more than to actually score in the paint. Uh, so I think that's the most interesting thing I took away from all of this. And, and Gad, to follow on that, we talk about rim pressure. And, I mean, you mentioned it. it. It feels like the answer to that is on the roster, but not active, right? Like, I, I mean, it, you know, you, you take a look at what they're currently doing. I, I, I don't know that the rim pressure is going to significantly increase with the way that Lowry's playing, he was more, a little more aggressive, particularly early in the game against Chicago, you know, after you posted the article, but I just, I just don't see it. I, I don't see this as, as a team that's going to do a ton of that until Victor Oladipo is back. Right. Like, I mean, how uh, let's, and I, we always do this. It's like Vic at 70%, Vic at 80%, Vic at, but, but, but let's say it's, it's the Vic that we, I can't imagine he's going to be worse off than he was last year if they did the surgery correctly. Right. Yeah. So let, let's, so he was 12, three and a half and three and a half, like essentially. Okay. So let's start at, let's start with that as a baseline. Okay. Let's say that the Victor Oladipo that we get back looks as good as he looked at times for Miami when he played in those, what was it? Four games last year uh, with more room to grow because Hopefully, again, they did the surgery correctly. How much does that change the rim pressure shot profile for this team? I think it 
it's the X factor. That's the X factor this team needs. I, I don't want to rely on the Victor Oladipo situation because I feel like that's something where it should be more of a luxury. And then once we get him back, then we're going to be really happy about it. But you look at the numbers from last year, he was driving 13 and a half times a game in Houston in his four games with Miami. I believe he was driving about nine and a half times a game. So the answer is there. Like we need a, a tertiary guy to get you the rim pressure. And Victor can absolutely do that. Albeit in a smaller role, he can still do it. And that's what you really need. You don't have someone that can maybe Lowry can do it situationally. Victor can do it pretty much anytime he's on the floor, assuming he's healthy. So I don't want to try to gas up the addition. He's been my trade deadline addition for this heat team the entire time. I think that's going to be the boost that this team gets. And it might be the best trade line, trade deadline acquisition out of they're anybody. They're going to use that line of thinking too, by the way, once they don't make a move with the deadline, because they're that's, not, to go the but back. it's the right answer, right? Like you have I'm this kind of, guy, I get it. I get you it. fringe all-star. Gad, 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 you're killing Adam's trade deadline shows right now. Okay. So don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that. We've got to gas up the trade deadline shows. The heat are going to make a ton of moves at the deadline. Follow everything that Adam Barai does from all 12 of his Twitter accounts. Uh, but yeah, I mean, most likely this is going to be uh, the, the main addition. I, you know, I want to go to Brady on this uh, to go to Gad because, and, and, you know, this is a little bit of a hockey assist, but, you know, we'll, we'll get to Brady more in his article in a second. But, I mean, you, you've talked about Vic a lot, Brady, in terms of what he can add from a rim pressure uh, standpoint. Did you expect Lowry? I guess I'll, I'll go to Brady on this. Did you expect Lowry to put more pressure on the rim? Yeah, I would definitely say that I expected to see that more. Like, I felt like we knew. As Alex said before, like that was the pull-up guy. Like I felt like we thought he was the pull-up guy even over Tyler Hero. I think the usage kind of changed that just because Tyler has the ball in his hands more than anybody when he's on the floor. So we're trying to change things. But I do think I expected them to get to the rim a bit more. And I think with Gad's numbers, what makes it so interesting is we constantly talk about the three-point shooting. Like three-point shooting of this team fell to middle of the pack. Uh, the reason they got threes last season, of course, it's Duncan Robinson. It's them getting the dribble handoff is them doing so many good things, but it was also them getting to the rim and kicking out and kind of creating from there where if drives are down and you're not getting down there as often, obviously three point shooting is probably going to go down on a team that has some of the best driving kick guys with guys like Jimmy guys like Kyle uh, and Bam has done it a lot as well. So it just feels like that's just a good place to start. Like if we're talking about a baseline of it being 13 and seven and there's room to grow in so many areas and we talk about them just coming out strong in many spots, that's one of them that they haven't. And I think it's probably a good thing because you're talking about a good spot they're in and they have a lot of room to grow offensively. Uh, and it's kind of a fallback plan to kind of saying the three-point shooting is can go up if that goes up. So you, do you, I'll pose this to Gad. Do you think the three-point shooting can go up? Like, do you think that's going to be a big reason that things can change just off of rim pressure? Yes. I think the biggest thing with this team is they've had some of their best players like Lowry, Duncan, and Bam, they've all struggled as jump shooters. And you also have a team that has struggled with rim pressure. One of They just need one or the other to click. They don't need both. If they get both, this team is virtually unbeatable, but yeah. not every team is perfect, right? But what they really just need is either rim pressure to be figured out, which I don't think is all that much likely until Victor Oladipo's back, unless Gabe Vincent just turns into Fred Van Fleet 2.0, which, hey, I'm not going to say hey, don't that. sleep on Gabe now, <laughs> but uh, the realistic pathway for this team to get to a close to elite offense, although they're already playing good offensively um, is just purely hitting shots. We have tough shot makers. We have contested like movement shooting on this team. We just really haven't had that result yet. And I think at a certain point, the numbers are really, really bad right now. Um, at a certain point, there will be a correction and it's going to look like a beautiful thing that might end up in a win streak for Miami because 
they have some talent. Like Lowry's shown for years, he's a good shooter. Duncan has a ridiculously large sample size of being an otherworldly shooter. And Bam has a two-year sample size of being a at least serviceable jump shooter from the mid-range. And we're not getting that right now. So once those happen, this team will be in great shape. Yeah, I think you you perfectly articulated kind of um, when I look at one felt swoop through the first 20 games, like the fact that six and one start, like the way that they played and the things that they got to, to, to know that they have that gear to me, I think is a really good sign. And to your point, when the shots start to fall, they can get to that gear more frequently. So to me, that, that that's a huge takeaway from the first 20 is just, you know, the sheer way that they started the season. And the other point that you've made, and I know, um, you know, I think this is bears watching is it seems like Lowry will apply pressure to the rim when there's no other choice. Uh, you know, he's, he's done it in games. And I know you, you statistically quantified this, that he's, he's driven more in games uh, where he doesn't have one of the other guys out there. And then he's also done it more at the end of certain games. Uh, again, when there's been foul trouble, I, I my frustration with Kyle and, and I got into this on our Twitter spaces last night is that when he's out there on the floor, with, uh, you know, without the Heat's other stars, okay? And, you know, last night against Chicago, he didn't have Hero. Uh, you know, Bam is not Bam, and I think that's something we need to continue to, to monitor and discuss because uh, either the knee or the something's off, okay? And Jimmy was not really totally plugged in. And, you know, and then he's on the floor with basically Struess, Gabe Vincent, two two-ways from last year, Caleb Martin, a two-way from this year, and Dwayne Dedman, okay? A guy that got off his couch last year. Okay. I know he doesn't like when we say that, but I mean, he wasn't playing. He's playing with four guys who are essentially minimum guys. You're the $30 million player attack. Okay. I mean, you're the guy with a pedigree. You're the guy who's won a championship. You're the guy that they went out and got. You really he heard the quarterback. He heard you, Ethan. In well, the he did every, half. I will say this every time. I, I don't know what it is. Every time I call him out on Twitter or spaces, he goes off. So I guess I should do that more often, but it's not that I don't appreciate what Lowry provides. I mean, I was pushing for the signing, but it's just certain times. It's like, okay, more like it, there's no one else there. It's like, look around. Okay. You know who it, he it, reminds me of a little bit, just on that point, mm-hmm. Jimmy in that first season here, we're like, yes, it was like, he would just pace himself so much as like the playmaker and then wait till score, like towards the end of the, I mean, mm-hmm. the, you know, the second half and Lowry just does it at an even higher degree. Cause he's been that point guard for so long. And I think he's kind of conserving, uh, you know, kind of ramping up towards the end of the season, towards the playoffs. And, and that's part of it right now. All right. I, we want to get to the defense here with Gad in a second. And then we're going to transition to Brady's article after that, before we do though, We got a new great local sponsor based in Coral Springs, and it's called Intense Nutrition. Intense Nutrition. This is the place you want to go. uh, Go up and say hi to Mike and everybody else there. This is the place that you want to go if you're tired of the change. You want to walk into a store and you want to get personalized service where they actually know you, um, and they've got great products there. So they can set you up with the Intense Cleanse and Detox you can lose 10 to 15 pounds in 10 days. We just came out of Thanksgiving. Maybe we'll make it 20 to 25 pounds in 20 days. Who knows? Okay. Get the intense cleanse and detox, or they can design the specific stacks for you, whether you're aging, whether you're a budding athlete, whether you just want to fight cold and flu season, right? Remember the masks are coming off. Now you're probably going to get sick again, reach out, go over to intense nutrition. They're over on 2540 
North University Drive. That's in Coral Springs, 2540 North University Drive. It's in one of those strip malls over there in Coral Springs. The phone number is 954-775-0257, 954-775-0257. Check out um, everything that they've got. We posted on our Instagram page, but here's the biggest thing. Again, pre and post workout regimens, they'll help you with that. But the big thing there, it's the quality, but it's also the service, okay? They're going to work directly with you, also going to set you up with local gyms uh, that they work with and make sure that you get the kind of program that you need. So go to Intense Nutrition, make sure you mention five reasons. Again, the phone number, 954-775-0257-2540 North University Drive in Coral Springs. And since we started doing these spots, I've had a bunch of people reach out and say, oh, we go there. Find out why. Go to Intense Nutrition. All right, let's get to the defense here a little bit. Gad, uh, from a statistical standpoint, what have you found? This is a top five defense. They are probably going to be a top five defense through and through throughout the entire season. And it literally must be hell playing against these guys because even though they're undersized, they're still an elite rebounding team. As of 19 games, the Chicago game might have skewed it backwards a little bit because Chicago definitely outworked us on the boards in that game. Uh, the Heat were tied for first with the Utah Jazz, who are a notoriously great rebounding team led by a notoriously great rebounder in Rudy Gobert. Um, so the rebounding for this team, which looked like it was going to be an issue going into the year. I mean, we have a really small, our starting lineup is about like 6'5 uh, when you average everything out. They can rebound. This is a well-coached team. They do a lot of things great on defense and don't really need numbers to tell me that, but it is nice to see the numbers supporting that argument because a top five defense and you aren't really shooting well, there's a lot of room for growth for this team. Yeah. yeah one thing, and, and I want to have these other guys jump in on this, but one thing I thought we'd see less of because they have better individual defenders this year is zone. And then the Chicago game. I mean, again, you got, I feel like you guys have better eyes than this uh, th- than I do, but it seemed like they were playing a hell of a lot of three, two zone, right? It was like I, a trapped into a zone, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it felt to me like Eric was flipping defenses constantly in that game, right? I, I, and so I'll go to either Gad or Brady on this, and I know I'm, I'm giving away the ghost a little because we're going to talk about this with Brady after the break, but but it, it does feel like even though the personnel has changed significantly, like Eric is still tinkering there. Yeah, he's definitely going mad scientist. This is definitely a, more of a Brady uh, question because my man is literally elite with the X's and O's as he's always been. Um, but I just think a lot of what he's doing is catering his approach, the defense that they're running to the personnel that is on the floor. Like you have Gabe, you have Caleb on the floor. You want to put like three quarter court pressure because they can hound guys defensively and make you get into your offense in the shot clock much, much later. And then if Billy Donovan can only run like two sets for the Bulls, for example, uh, that's a good thing for the heat because they can probably guard two sets, but if you have to go three, four rotations deep, then maybe it doesn't work as well. Um, but th- I'll, I'll let Brady chime in on this as well. Um, I feel like that's really what we're doing is just trying to maximize the skill set that is currently on the floor, which is what great coaches do. Brady. Yeah. I think the interesting thing is what you said before when you said about them flipping defenses, because it almost looks like a three, two at times, but then it's also a two, three where it's just like mm-hmm. the, the bottom guys playing so high up. Uh, mm-hmm. Then there's possessions where Deadman's basically at half court and it's just rotations on the backside. It basically turns into man because everybody's just going kind of crazy on the backside. Like that's Spolstra's like home base. Like that's where he likes to be. He likes to be kind of where he can has the personnel where he can trust, even though Deadman's not the fastest guy. He knows he's smart enough to get back in his position. Uh, and like God said, they're catering to their guys that are on the floor at certain times. Like they basically called, uh, I feel like Caleb Martin's basically the Andre Iguodala of last season. 
in a lot of ways. Like it just feels like, and especially it starts with the two, three, the two, two, one press and the two, three zone where Gabe Vincent, if he entered the game last season, it was automatically going to be a press in his own just because of his ability to stop the ball. It would doll his ability to stop the ball. And I felt like we thought there wasn't going to be as much zone because we didn't think they had an Andre Iguodala to put at the top. Like you're not putting Jimmy Butler at the top of a two, two, one and, and putting that type of pressure on him, kind of wasting his energy, a two way and Caleb Martin who's highly capable of doing that. You can, you feel very comfortable in doing it. Uh, so I just feel like the personnel changing and then being able to use these different guys kind of change some things, but either way, they still have to use their offensive guys, no matter what, like, I feel like there's, there's top five demons for a reason, but like pushing out Max Struess outside of a rotation to kind of tend to that, it seems a little crazy at times, but it just feels, it just shows the theme of this team. Alex, I want, I want to start with, I want to let you jump in okay. here because I, I, I do think that one of uh, the things that, that drove heat fans crazy last year was the soft switching um, and particularly bam. And it does seem like he's still doing it. I know I'm going into the strategy thing here a little bit. So, but we'll, we'll do this and then we'll, we'll get into more on the offensive side. It seems like he's still doing it, but it seems like it's more his choice, right? Like uh, how do you, how do you, I, I'll go to, I, I think Greg and I will both defer on this to the three of you. Like, I, I, like why, why is that happening? And is that good? So before I get into that, cause that's definitely a good conversation to, to back to what we were just talking about right now, the zoning stuff. I've noticed a mm. lot of it uh, was coming in these four guard lineups too. They've been throwing out, especially before the Chicago game where Schroes is kind of back in the rotation, but either way, right. He's not really a four. If he, if he's out there as a four, it's still small ball. And I just noticed that in ever since Keith has gone out and especially more in these past few games, they've been kind of ramping up the mad scientist stuff. And, I'm, I'm good with it. Like, I think trying it against different teams and especially, you know, when you've got certain guys missing, it just makes sense to do. Like, these guys, uh, like Brady said, are capable of doing it. Caleb Martin is in that Iguodala position, in that Derrick Jones Jr. position where it's like they know how to be there uh, at the top of the zone, very active hands. So I'm good with it uh, as far as, you know, something that you could throw out in short spurts. Now, the BAM stuff, I don't think it's his choice. I still think it's a coaching thing because uh, – most of the time it's happening when they're just switching everything. And they've done a whole lot of that this season, as opposed to in the past, maybe they've kind of tried to keep Bam, uh, you know, sometimes they'll switch one through four, but that was more, you know, uh, tied to Hassan Whiteside and other bigs who just couldn't move like Myers or Kelly, right? That was, that's less of a Bam thing. But in general, they're switching everything a whole lot when they're not doing these uh, other types of defenses like zoning and trapping. And I feel like that's just what's going to happen. This team, however, as much as I, I'm not a fan of the soft switching or whatever, they're pretty good at targeting like when they're going to actually switch. Like they're, mm -hmm. they're pretty good at noticing when there's a mismatch, although there's been a couple of times at the end of game, specifically that Washington game where it felt like they weren't helping out enough. They're really good at figuring out what mismatches to not let happen. And so I think they're really smart. And also they can guard up so well. Like you saw yesterday with Vucevic, right? They were switching all over the place. And every time Jimmy was there, he held his own. Lowry held his own. Even Duncan did a pretty good job holding his own. And you know PJ is going to hold his own versus the big man. So I just think they're really built. And that's why Spo ends up doing it as kind of his base defense is they've got a team that is really built to switch. And it takes away energy from guys having to constantly fight over. I think it's a fun it's a fun question to say is it Bam doing it or is it by design and I don't want to get too far into scheme but I will say that the Heat social media account points out that Bam is the number one switch defender in the NBA with fifty nine switches over number two and that's like oh, front that's and center so on the flyer so I design. think that it's probably by design. 
Bo dug up that stat with the shovel. Yeah, he he sent it to Coop, and then Coop sent it over to the uh, the media account. No, I, I, I Coop Coop does incredible work. Um, okay, one more thing, and then we're gonna go to Brady. I just want to see: is there any way to quantify Gad how good PJ Tucker has been? Is there any um, number that 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 speaks to it? There, whew, that's tough. You could probably look at like charges drawn, individual rebound percentage. I was looking at, and he's pretty up there for being an undersized four. Um, whenever he boxes out, the this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. The Heat get the rebound. That's pretty much what, and he boxes out pretty often. Um, I didn't cite that in the article or whatever. Uh, if he was a bench player, he would be on my culture minute segment for the post-up show, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, PJ Tucker Tucker. would definitely be like all time culture player though. Like that he would historic ratings. If you want some numbers for that, you know, the the thing about that guy is it, it, and this is one of the reasons I want to do this exercise is because, you know, the different ways to analyze basketball now, you know, you know, whether it's the, the statistical or the strategic or the eye test, it all sort of comes together with him because I, I remember Brady and I were at the first scrimmage together, the first open scrimmage, and we're both watching PJ. And the first thing I said, and again, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have the eye that you guys have on this, particularly Brady's eye on this. First thing I said was they're going to get every rebound this year because he's just going to stick his ass out and blocks everybody out. And that's pretty much what happens. I mean, it, it, you know, he doesn't have to get the rebound to create the rebound opportunity for Miami. And I think, if you look at it, and, and that is why I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Bam as we go forward here, but that is why Bam's rebounding decline to me is concerning over the past uh, three weeks because he should be collecting a lot of rebounds because he has a much better box out guy next to him than he had last season when it was Trevor Ariza, right? Who was, I mean, let's be honest, Trevor was a, a, a skinny three playing the four. He's got a guy now who's a legitimate four, even though he's undersized from a height perspective. And so Bam was grabbing all these rebounds early and he's not now. And and to me, that that speaks to a potential health issue that he's having with the knee because the rebounding numbers coming down, I think is most indicative because he's Bam should be lucking into 11 rebounds a game. Okay. Just the way that they're boxing out and as many missed shots as they're forcing. And he was early. That's why it's like, there's something weird there. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Listen, hold it, hold it. By the way, uh, just to, to further what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So the heat have been in the top three rebound percentage all season. And I believe they still are, even after this last bulls game where they got destroyed on the boards, but, 
I just did a quick search with a, you know, I just threw a, a filter on there. I wanted to see where they're at in rebound percentage in the last three weeks. I, you know, I wasn't thinking mm-hmm. of a specific game, but something like that, you know, last three weeks, they're 15th in rebounding percentage. So. I think it's bam. I think, I, th- I think, I think I, if you're looking for the direct corollary, it's like, it's corollary. It's likely bam. All right. We've got something new for you. Uh, Brady segments on our show are now sponsored um, and they're sponsored by our friend, Eric Rubenstein. And he wants to be your attorney. In fact, if you go to his IG page, it says his handle is I want to be your lawyer, which is a pretty good place to start. I'm going to tell you a little bit here about Eric. The law offices of Eric Matthew Rubenstein specialize in personal injury law, including car accidents, slip and falls, medical malpractice, and more. Here's a little bit about Eric. Um, I actually met Eric uh, 16 years ago when I was doing a story at about four in the morning about all night places in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, that's what I was doing back in those days uh, for the Sun Sentinel. And I, I, I hung out with him at a Primati Brothers, if you're familiar at all uh, with Lauderdale Beach. And that's how I met him. And he's, he became an attorney. He's an FSU undergrad. Don't hold it against him. Got a master's from BU. And he graduated law school magna cum laude and seventh overall out of 200. He was also president of the Student Bar Association. So he's the kind of person that you want in charge of your case. He grew up in a personal injury law family. And he could be reached at 954-829-ERIC. That's 954-829-ERIC. Or again, on Instagram at I want to be your lawyer. You can also text him at that number, 954-829-ERIC. So if you've had a car accident, a slip and fall, or anything medical that didn't go the way that it was supposed to go, make sure you reach out to him. Also a huge Miami sports fan and a friend of our friend here, Brady Hawk. So he's going to be sponsoring Brady's segments here on the program. So that's a good place to start here. Uh, with Brady and his latest article, which you can also find on five reasons, sports.com uh, Brady didn't have the fancy, uh, the fancy graphics, but he does have the, the fancy videos on here. And Brady, let, let me, let me just let you start uh, with your biggest takeaways. And I know some of them are, are similar here from a strategic standpoint to some of the statistical stuff that Gad did, but with, with some tweaks. So, uh, so let's, let's go through it. Yeah, they're pretty similar. And I feel like the same way, you have to start out with Tyler here. Like, there's no way you start at the 20-game mark and look back. Uh, of course, you have Jimmy Butler playing an MVP level, but I feel like Tyler Hero, just the way he's ascended over this stretch, is just the way to start. Uh, we talked about some of the pull-up numbers. You talked about some of the stats. But I think the interesting thing is coming in, we talked so much about him creating separation. Like, would he be able to – if he's a three-level guy, you have to be able to do it in isolations. You have to be able to do it when you have a defender draped on you at the end of a game. And he's basically done that in his own way where he's not just taking – James Harden step backs, which might be a travel now, but it just feels like he's doing it in a way where he's able to go over the top of defenders. Like we've talked about him putting 10 pounds of muscle in the off season. We said, well, we haven't really seen it. Like the pictures don't say any scream jump out to you. It seems like it's put into his lower body, his legs, where he's able to just go right over the top with a high release point and score. So it's like him being able to do that at all three levels. We've seen that at, with the triples because he's able to do that on the pull-up shooting, even though they weren't always falling. He always did that as rookie season. Now the mid range, it just seems the way he's carving up defenses through drop has been the way he's always done it. But now he's able to do it against switches, um, which is just huge. Like it's, it used to be him reading defenses and going and kind of going from there. Now it's defense is changing for him, which is crazy to say because it's a third year player who's still learning this league as a scorer, but it basically has been the case because he does not change his game for a defense. Like it used to be the case. He was going to get to the elbow. If it was dropped, he was probably going to shoot more threes. If it was switches now and nothing changes. Like he's going to do Tyler, no matter what night it is. 
And I feel like that's just the big change because this is a sustainable thing. Like this isn't a guy that's averaging 21 and it's just going to be gone at the 50, 40 game mark. Like this is a guy that's averaging 21 and it's not going anywhere unless he has some minor struggles throughout the season of the ball falling through the hoop. Um, but it just seems like that's the perfect way to just to start just with the separation. And obviously every number that Gad pointed out before just kind of rising, just kind of shows that and ties everything together. It, it, I keep saying it. I'm gonna, I said it at the top. I'm going to say it again. It's the single best thing that could have happened to the organization in the first 20 games is for Tyler hero to have this type of turnaround. And um, I don't know that there's very many young players around the league that they would be even willing to discuss trading him for the way he's playing right now. Uh, and I just, that development in itself is so um, it's huge. Like just for not only, uh, this team and how good it can be in the ceiling, you know, but just long-term, you know, I, I, so I think it, it, it is, we, we won't have enough time to really give Tyler the credit that is due for what, how he's played and how he's started. And uh, if it's as, if he ends the season as well as he's played in the first 20 games, I mean, that's uh, it's a huge development for Miami long-term. Well, well, the reason long-term it's really two ways. We talked about this before the year. I mean, some of this stuff, again, we're talking a lot of strategy and stats here, but some of this stuff is narrative and directional, right? And the reality is that with Tyler, first thing, you didn't know what he was going to be for you, but you also didn't know what kind of an asset he was going to be going forward and now he's both, right? Like now, now he's such a good asset that you don't want to move him. That's the position you want to be in with your players. Like for, force another team to blow you away to give up a player. And then you still have to think about it, right? Like there are conversations we had before this season that were gimmies. Would you trade Tyler Hero for Brandon Ingram? Of course. Now you say, no, I wouldn't, right? Like this has flipped over the course of this year because you know guys who can score at will in this league who also are playable defensively which he has become and then also playable in fourth quarters because they have that thing where they're not afraid like that there's very very few of those like there's a guy in Atlanta uh there's there's a handful of those type of players and he's elevated himself at least into the back half of that class um and that's remarkable. Uh, but, you know, I, again, I, there, there are some other things that Brady got into here. And we've talked about Tyler so much, and we certainly could do it some more. But I, there was one part of this article, Brady, that was interesting to me, because, again, we continue to talk about Bam. Mid-post killers, Jimmy Butler finds his home base. Bam Adebayo still searching for his. Um, wh why has it been easier for Jimmy than Bam, Brady? Well, for one, Jimmy's just so much more experienced in this league as a scorer. So I feel like that's just a perfect way to start. But they basically have, we talked about the drop killers on this team, and it felt like that was the perfect way because we're talking about Tyler, we're talking about Kyle. These are all guys that can hurt drops. Uh, but they basically become mid-post killers. Like, it just feels like every possession, there's at least two times that they get a guy in the mid-post and kind of either go look to score, they're going to look to pass, they're going to look to do something. And I feel like the interesting thing is Jimmy has taken that and taken it to a whole new level just because – that is an indication for him to score every single time because they have Kyle Lowry. Now it is not him getting that ball and looking to pass every time. Like he's always going to pass. He's a playmaker, uh, but that's not the way he's always going to be. He's still able to get to the rim from that spot on the floor. And he's felt really comfortable. Like this is the mid range is falling, which is huge for the mid post position because if that's falling, Jimmy Butler is a different player, but the difference with Bama Adebayo is he is still searching for it. Like it seems like Kyle has to force him to basically go, 
when he does that. Like Kyle gives him the ball, clears out, and that's Bam saying, okay, let me go. And it just feels like it's too late for that, that he just has to go. And the difference is why I say he's still searching for it is I don't think he has a thing. And I think that what that means is he does not have a go-to at the end of the games. We talk about where does Bam Adebayo go in the fourth quarters? He doesn't really know where to go to. Does he drive? Does he try to get to the line? Does he try to face up and take a slower big off the dribble? Does he back down a smaller defender when they get a switch? Like, I feel like we have these discussions, like he should do this, this, and this, where I feel like Bam's thinking about he should do this, this, and this, because it just does not seem like there's one thing he can go to. Personally, I just feel like he should just be facing up and just getting to a certain spot on the floor and firing. Like we can talk about him getting to the rim, but it just not does not feel at the end of games. He can really do that consistently at this point. Like he can at least get to the jumper. And if he could do that continually, it's just a different beast. So it just feels like there, this is 20 games. Like we're talking about a 20 game sample size. Like there's still stuff that's going to change. Bam Adebayo has been forced to play at the elbow all of last season. And he, by the end of the season, we've talked about the reason why he emerged so much is because he mastered that. He was able to set the screen. He was getting the pocket pass. He was finding the DHO and spreading to there where he mastered it. And that's when we were talking about the jumper. It feels like we're going to get to the point where he's going to have this mastered mid-range jumper inside the wing and everything's going to change. But for this 20 game spot, that's going to be the difference maker that he has to kind of find his thing and go with it. And that'll be the difference end of games. So I said this in our chat here, but to me, the biggest difference there, even though I really love that they put Bam in more of those positions than they have previously, and I would still probably like to see it a little bit more, even though I, I don't think he has that quote-unquote post bag yet. Like, one of them is a mismatch killer, and the other one isn't, right? And like you said, I just think Jimmy has had so much more experience of being put in those exact positions in the mid-post and being and just, you know, his team's telling him to go to work because that's where he's yeah. at his best, and I think that's why – He's, you know, his efficiency is up in the mid range. And just as a scorer, he looks more like that guy that we saw in Chicago that people were, that Heat fans were asking for for the past couple of seasons, as opposed to uh, him kind of playing that quarterback role that I think Lowry has taken some of uh, when they're playing on the floor together. And it just makes Jimmy, uh, Jimmy's job so much easier. I think he's, you know, like Brady was talking about, uh, Bam doesn't have a move. We already know Jimmy's move. Once he gets yeah. into that mid post, <laughs> he has that little shimmy. It's incredible. It's well, I mean, and his his eyes light up when he has a mismatch, and yes. Bam's eyes don't do that same thing. It's that like, yo, give me the ball because I'm gonna punish this and cat. He plays like, with way more force than Bam does, even though he's so, obviously a lot smaller. Like he just will he will put his weight on a guy every single time he notices a mismatch. Like his awareness is really high there, whereas Bam might notice it. And I don't remember who pointed this out originally. I just thought it was a really good point that he's more looking to uh, kind of wait for the second guy to come so he can make that pass. He doesn't really want to take the guy one-on-one. And I don't mean that as any shot or disrespect towards Bam. I think, and I've been saying this since last season, since the year before, it's all part of the growing pains, like Gad said in his story, right? Like this is part of the process for a guy who's never been put in this role before, even though I think Bam uh, can be maximized there in that, in that you know, mid-post elbow area. He's not there yet. He doesn't have a set of moves that he feels great about. He just needs to, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, get, get in a training session with Hakeem, like they used to say, but not really. But uh, it's just I about mean, that's getting, not a crazy idea, moves. Alex. Actually. No, it's, it's really mean, just basic post moves and getting used to the idea of backing down guys. And it's it's a series of moves. Right. And getting in the post is something that can be really physical and annoying to deal with. So I get it. But when you've got that mismatch, you've got to take it. I think Jimmy has noticed that at a high level and bam just isn't there yet, but I think he will get there eventually. Well, it does feel like 
Eric has made more of an effort to put him in those different spots that Pat wanted him to put him in. If you a lot of times it does demand a double and he's making those passes. So it's still effective. Right. No, and, and look, he's, he, he's, he's still a plus passer, but I also think that some of the lack of post-up stuff is a little bit reactionary from the organization because Whiteside wanted to post up so much and, and they got this big who wasn't demanding the ball down there and was useful in all these other ways. And so they really haven't developed that part of his game or he really hasn't developed that part of his game, but I'm, I'm with you. I think the thing with Bam is at the end of the game, it's like, okay, you're going to go to him. I think part of it is mental, but I do think part of it that we do look past too much is okay. How is he going to, how is he going to do it? Right. And, and, and I, and I think, that he right, he's thinking that at this point. And I think the, the comments that he made about how everybody wants him to be a three-point shooter speak to this. I everybody is putting demands on Bam to do this or to do that. And I think at times we talk about Duncan and Duncan's who we're going to close this episode with, but we talk about Duncan being in his own head. I feel like Bam at times is in his own head. And I think that's when you see him start to drift. I also think the thing with Bam that's been a little frustrating is his hands have not gotten better. Um, in fact, it feels like they've gotten worse. We talked about this on Twitter spaces last night, but getting stripped and sometimes it's not him losing the ball, but he loses position. And then he's sort of like, it looks like he knows what he wants to do, but then the ball's sort of, he fumbles it or somebody slaps at it. And I do think that's on the scouting report at this point. And then he's, he's not in the right place to do what he initially intended to do. And that's when you see him get out of sorts. So he's going to have to be stronger with his hands. And again, that's not the easiest thing to do. All right, we're going we're gonna to save Duncan for last. And we're going to let both. He's get averaging it. one more turnover, by the way, even though he's not playmaking as much. So I think well, that's, that's that. I think, well, I think if we broke down the turnovers, Alex, we would find most of them are the ball being slapped out of his hands. I think, I think that's where it's coming from. All right. We're going to let both Gad and Brady get in on this after the break. Cause we're going to close here with Duncan before we do, we got another code. I pair these two together. Premium CBD, therapistpreferred.com. Okay, that's where you want to go for the gummies, the tincture, and everything else there. Of course, the sports cream CBD is great for you. And this is great CBD uh, in terms of recovery and in terms of sleep. Use the code 5RSN at therapistpreferred.com. That's the code 5RSN, the number 5RSN at therapistpreferred.com to save 20, 25%. And then to save 20% at manscaped.com for all your grooming needs, your cologne, they've got t-shirts on the site, they've got boxers on the site. Okay, get everything. Manscaped.com, use the code 5RSN there and also at therapistpreferred.com to get our special deals. All right, let's get to Duncan Robbins. I'm going to start from with a, with a, a, a paragraph. Uh, if you see me on YouTube looking down, this is why I've been doing this because I'm trying to read the articles as we go here. Um but this is, a, 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 this is part of Brady's piece today. Uh, through a quarter of the season, it's been a ton of Robinson awaiting the ball to fall into his lap, which has not been him at any point in his NBA career. He needs to seek the ball out, receive more pie pick and roll reps, which transformed his shooting last season, and continually make pocket pass. That pocket pass as defenders continue to double out at him, no matter his shooting percentages. Um, so for you, Brady, a lot of this is, again, his intent, right? Like what, you know, again, seeking the ball out, but, but here's the other thing. I know he shot the ball better against Chicago. He's just shot some, I mean, just again, this is eye test. Now this is not statistical. There are just times he's way off. Like I don't remember even when he was struggling last year, him being way off, but there are some that like barely hit rim this year. Like what, what, so how much of it is, 
where do you put it? Like how much of it is this idea that he's got to try to adjust to the way that the, the, the heat's personnel and scheme has changed and how much of it is just, he's just not shooting the ball. Well, yeah, I think first and foremost, it is in his head. Like that's number one by far, but when you're 20 games in, you cannot just wait for that to turn around. Like you have to do something about it. You have to go back to some old ways to try to flip that switch. Uh, and the one way to do it, I just feel like is just going back to what worked. Like, he has fully changed his role. Like it may not look like it. Of course, open looks are open looks like you should make them, but going back to the dribble handoff, sometimes he's done it. You know, we saw it against Chicago looking recently. And what did he do? He got to the rim more because no matter what he was shooting, guys are still flying high at him and he's going to a weird floater, which is falling. He almost, I said he was mirroring clay to mirroring DeRozan. Like he just went now and he's getting to the rim and he's able to do different things. Um, but this is a team that, if we're looking at them, you know, this is probably Gad's area, but looking at the stats, I would think they'd be at the bottom, bottom of the league in three-point shooting because I walk away and I hop on these podcasts after games and it feels like we're talking about them shooting 27% from three, 29% from three. And this is a team that's middle of the pack with Duncan and Lowry not shooting the ball well. Uh, part of that is just, as we loop back a little bit, is just Hero shooting the ball at an incredible level. P.J. Tucker shooting the ball at an incredible level. But by the way, we talked about the P.J. stat that stands out. 32% of catches shoot threes last season up to 45%. is basically a reason they've kept three-point shooting afloat. Like, he's basically saved them in that area. Uh, but with Duncan specifically, it does feel like maybe high pick-and-roll reps is the way to go because, like I said, they still double him, and that just maximizes spacing on the floor because you get that ball to P.J. now which we didn't think was possible before. Like we didn't think you could hit PJ on a roll like that. And you feel comfortable with him making decisions on a four and three on the backside, but you do now, like he can make the pass. He can make that weird floater that basically a hundred percent consistency with, like, it just feels like there's just so many different things they can do with Duncan going back to those old ways. Um, and with Lowry, on the other hand, as I talked about in this same section, it feels like it's the same thing with him, like kind of relating it back to what he used to do setting screens when the screen comes immediately pulling as he gets to that three-point line transition pull-ups, which he did a ton in Toronto. Um, and it feels like corners, like he needs to be utilized much more in the corners. We talk about late game execution. Duncan is the ultimate strong side three-point shooter, because if you have Jimmy on the wing and Duncan's in the corner, that defender, no matter what, if Duncan's 0 for 10 from three that night, they are not dipping off of Duncan to go after Jimmy on the drive. And if Lowry's on the weak side, they're not really thinking twice to go completely for a tag. So if they want to maximize space and it feels like that's the way to do it, but ultimately it's just interesting to have that conversation to say that's possible with a team that's shooting, you know, two guys of your backcourt that are shooting that poorly, but it does feel like Duncan's in his head and it just feels like if they go back to what's worked. That's when it will start the turnaround and, you know, the mental side of things. You mentioned Duncan in his head. This is the weirdest split. Like, look at this, y'all. So in the seven home games, he's shooting. So same attempts, nine attempts a game. Home Seven home games, he's shooting 25% from three. In the 13 road games, he's shooting 38% from three. It's wow. interesting. I don't know what the correlation is there. You know, I'm the narrative guy. Could it be that the big contract in front of the home fans uh, is, is an expectation kind of like uh, weighing on him? It's possible if you also, if you think of the fact that if you look at his splits previous, he shot the ball better at home. Um, both he and Hero did, by the way. Uh, J- Jimmy's the guy on this team that plays better on the road historically over the course of his career. His percentages, his points per game, 
and all of that are up. Uh, that's interesting. Gad, was there anything when you kind of dug into the numbers here on Duncan specifically? There's a few things that are just pretty weird. Uh, his pull-up shooting is still borderline at an elite level. He's shooting about 40% on two to three-ish threes a game on pull-ups. That's impressive. Uh, catch and shoot. He's taking more catch and shoots than any other player in the NBA. He's taking 7.2 a game, and he's shooting, I believe, it's 32% on catch and shoot looks. So kind of looking deeper into, like, what might be the cause of this, um, these stats almost make absolutely no sense. But on his tight shooting, so this is one of the defenders when within two to four feet of you. In his rookie season, he shot 41% on about two and a half attempts. Last season, he shot about 38%. On about three attempts this season on about three and a half attempts he's shooting 24 percent wow um so the maybe the movement shooting the the tight teams are playing him tighter and it looks like it's genuinely affecting him in addition to the fact that he's also thinking about some of those open catch and shoot looks so it's just this is like a melting pot of a lot of problems that i'm not really sure how they get solved because he's not really a separation guy unless you want to run three different pin downs for him for him to get open there's a lot of numbers that are somewhat concerning, but I feel like there should be a regression to the mean coming soon because I think he can only overthink for so long. A basketball player at the end of the day will end up playing basketball. Shout out Alex Toledo with the, at the end of the day. <laughs> melting pot or melting down, right? Like that's feels like a little bit of both of it. Alex, you, you take us home here. Oh man, that's never a good strategy. Thank God you're not the coach of the heat, but seriously, <laughs> uh, as I was looking through, a some lot of people say, here that. goes Go Dion. <laughs> here goes D. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, in all seriousness, like Duncan is at his worst in pretty much all three levels of the floor right now, this season. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, guy just went over the catch and shoot stuff. I think a lot of those, as we've been saying, are going to go back up. Like it just, it would be shocking to me if it just kept going at this rate like I've seen him be an elite shooter in front of my two eyes for two seasons including the playoffs like it just doesn't make sense to me for him to fall off to the level that he has even though by the way I loved what I saw from him last night with a lot of those uh a lot of those times where he was getting uh guarded top side he was countering and getting into the paint even though he, like sometimes he doesn't have to go for the layup like if you have a guy trailing you almost to the point that he's behind you because he's that worried about your three-point shooting and you coming off the screen, then yeah, just go into the paint. You're going to have that guy. I mean, you're going to have that, that lane and either the, and the low man is going to have to help. Or if he doesn't, you've got the wide open layup. I, I just think it's, that's part of the way that they're guarding him so much and why he struggled with his usual profile of diff high difficulty shots, because there's less handoffs, even though he's still getting plenty of attempts. I think some of these open looks are going to go up more, but on the defensive end, while looking up some of this here, it's actually interesting because I feel like he's taken some of a step, a little bit of a step back on defense this year. Not too much, but I feel like uh, last season he kind of figured out a balance between, you know, the one-on-one -on -one defense, the team defense, and even the fouling, even though it's always been an issue with him. It felt like, you know, he was starting to figure it out. And this season his fouls are up by one more per game. I think that's interesting. But the good stuff for him is that he's – at a career high steal and block percentage and the defensive stats on basketball reference also uh, kind of back Duncan a little bit. Maybe it's just because he's playing with the starting lineup all the time. And uh, I, I want to say it was Giancarlo Navas from heat beat who said, a week, uh, like, I think within the last week who, who put the difference in their on off stats with, with Duncan versus Tyler. Yeah. And they're still just a much better team uh, according to those on and off stats with Duncan on the floor, as opposed to Tyler. And although a lot of that may have to do with the closing stuff where Tyler's on the floor for a lot of those closing minutes and he's getting hunted, 
I think it's still something to monitor is that Duncan is still, even 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 though the eye test might not show it because he's fouling more, uh, still the better defender and the more solid defender there. So I just think it's interesting watching his progressions throughout the season. And I hope he keeps doing those counters on offense. And, uh, you know, we just got to hope he fouls. So we got fouls less so early in the game. So some of that could just be honestly size. I, he gives them a little bit more size than Tyler does. And as we talked about, they're not big. I mean, they're, they're I said before the season, they're a, they're a horizontal team. They're not a vertical team. Uh, they're he's wide. not a great like lateral mover either. Right. A, as much as he tries, right? Like he's very sound positioning. He's got great length. He's he's not a great lateral mover. Like Tyler's got him beat there. Tyler can just move better, right? He, but, he does. But but again, I mean, you're talking about a starting lineup that's going, what, 6'9", 6'7". Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean. It's perfect for Duncan. Right. I mean, he, he gives them a little bit more height there. All right. Want to thank Gad. Want to thank Brady. Make sure that you check out their articles on 5 sports.com. Of course, Alex and Greg, you know where to follow them. And also thanks to our sponsors, prizepicks.com, betus.com. Use the code five manscape.com therapistpreferred.com. Use the code five RSN. And of course, check out intense nutrition in Coral Springs and our new sponsors. He wants to be a sponsor. He wants to be your lawyer. If you had any kind of personal injury situation or medical malpractice, reach out to our guy, Eric Rubenstein, who's now the official sponsor of Brady's segments here on the program. Have a great night, day, week. Denver, Miami. We didn't talk about it at all. I'll be down there with Alex. We'll be waiting for the Jokic brothers. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to the Five on the Floor on the Five Regional Sports Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.